Poole comes up with the ball to the front court, finds Damian Lee. He drives in, passes out to JTA, handoff Poole, deep three on the way, got it! The 10-point game. And listen to the crowd here at Chase. This is the Golden State Warriors podcast. And now your host, the voice of the Warriors, at Warriors Vox, Tim Roy. Hey, welcome back to the Warriors podcast. I'm Tim Roy. Glad to have you on board. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of things to talk about in the land of the Warriors these days. And to help us untangle everything, I enlisted Monty Poole. Longtime Bay Area sports reporter. He's covered the NBA and the Golden State Warriors for a very long time. And no one has more perspective on the Warriors and where their place is in the Bay Area and where basketball has a place in the Bay Area than Monty Poole. So great to have Monty on board. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, Monty, first of all, thanks for coming on board. It's always great to talk some round ball with you. I, I value your opinion and your perspective on things. So I guess we have to start with, uh, you know, what happened recently, and that was when Marcus Smart and Steph Curry were going for a loose ball. Steph ends up with a a foot injury, and, uh, and obviously he's out, uh, according to reports, indefinitely. As of the taping of this conversation, the team has not released anything uh, specific, so we should clarify that. But uh, either way, he's he's injured, obviously, and he's not going to be on the floor for a little bit. So, so give me your whole, you know, thought process. What did you think when it first happened, and where does this put the Warriors right now? Well, when it first happened, um, you know, whenever Steph gets gets up limping, it's never good. Uh, and, and but I've seen him get up limping and somehow get back into the game. So I wasn't sure what this meant. But then he goes into the locker room, and I thought, oh, this is not good. But then I thought about uh, how many years ago was it now? Six years ago in Oklahoma City, where he came up limping and went to the locker room. I thought, okay, he's done for the day. And he came back and hit the game-winning shot that nobody will ever forget. So I didn't quite know what was going on. And then when the Warriors said that he would be out, uh, he, his return was indefinite. I thought, okay, this is not good. And then they said he would not be back. And at that point, I thought this is not good at all. And they got to figure out what they can do because they can't catch a break. You know, as soon as Clay Thompson is ready to play, Draymond Green goes out the same day. As soon as Draymond comes back, two days later, Steph goes out. Uh, they've been trying to get these three guys together all year because they understand that these three guys will dictate how far they can go in the postseason. And they haven't had it. They haven't had it more than a game and a half. So... Uh, my thought was the play itself, you know, yeah, was it was it dirty? I, I think I can see that argument. But I also see guys dive on the floor all the time in the NBA. So it's not like, oh, my God, this – I've seen worse, put it that way. I've seen worse and knew it was dirty. Uh, and I've seen stars do things that were worse and know it was dirty. But I think Marcus Smart was a hustle play that was borderline, you know, reckless. Um, but I wouldn't go so far as to call it dirty. So to me, what it means is that the Warriors for the next couple of weeks, three or four weeks maybe, uh, have to figure out how they can try and maintain a top four spot. You know, they're at three now, and they want to stay in the top four. Obviously, two would have been the way to go, but that's a long shot now. And, and it's up to – we're going to find out how good Jordan Poole can be when the lights are brightest. And I kept, I've been hearing for two years now, almost three years, that 
that Jordan's a guy who really embraces the bright lights. He, he likes the idea of the big moment. And so um, right now, he's going to be their chief playmaker. He's going to be the guy that the offense revolves around along with Draymond. So I, I think they can do okay. The schedule is going to give them a little bit of a break. They got some tough games coming up next week and the week after. They have a stretch where they play in Memphis, Phoenix, and Utah within like a five or six day span. That's a tough stretch. But for the most part, they get some softies coming up. And that should help them if they're able to defend. So uh, in a nutshell, uh, I think if they can somehow go what do you got? Twelve left. If they can go, if they if they're above five hundred over the final twelve games, I think that's a win. Yeah, I I, I kind of agree with you on just about everything there. Um, I, I agree with you. I don't think the play was dirty when I looked at it. You know, heat of the moment. You see, you know, Steph go down. You're going what? But then you know, you look at the replay, and it it's a hustle play. It, but I think, yeah, reckless is a good way of doing it. I think Draymond also nailed it, too, and he said that might have been unnecessary, uh, yeah. you know, that kind of a thing. But, okay, so now it's done. It's over. So uh, Jordan Poole gets the keys to the car again. And, you know, he seems to be that kind of player that the more responsibility you give him, the better he gets. To me, he's also a he's the a great cautionary tale for all of us at this in this juncture. You know, when you and I first started covering the NBA, there would be guys coming out of college and bang, they could play right away. Uh, I think now you kind of have to wait on most guys. Some guys can do it right away, but most guys take time. You know, and and, uh, Jordan has been, you know, uh, a good example of what happens when you work at it because he's put in a lot of time. You know, he is a gym rat. So, so yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to do now. To me, if, if if Steph's able to come back and and you know get some time before the the, the postseason, then I think they'll be okay. Um, you know, I don't think Draymond and Steph need a lot of work together. You know, maybe Draymond needs some more work with Clay. But to me, it's it's more about you know can they get the other guys like Poole, who haven't played in a tough playoff series? Can you get them ready? to go and, and, you know, what happens when you incorporate James Wiseman into this mix too. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, the, their depth is also, you know, something that the coaching staff has to work really hard at, I think, Monty, because, you know, they have to juggle it and figure it out. And, and who knows, you know, maybe every night, just like in the past, their playoff rotation is a little bit different. Yeah, you know, all this season, uh, Steve Kerr and his staff have been juggling rotations and experimenting trying to find the right mix. And they knew all along, um, first half of the season, they knew that whatever they did was going to change when Clay came back. Well, and Clay comes back. And then, okay, we can now start sort of settling things in, but Draymond goes out. And and so then they have to wait. Well, when Draymond comes back, it became a thing. Well, we won't be whole until Draymond comes back. And then Draymond comes back and Steph goes out. So you're right. I think when you look at the other guys, and I think specifically – I've thought this all along. When Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins play well, the Warriors can beat anybody. They can beat anybody. And and uh, the question is, can they play well within the context of the other guys if they're all healthy? In other words, can, can I think Jordan's fine. Andrew, I think, you know, he, he's hit and miss. And, and uh, if he brings his game uh, to the court, and has Steph and Clay and Draymond out there with him in the postseason, 
I think the Warriors are then, okay, they're in really good shape. Um, I think James, when he comes in, will be a situational player. Um, they will play him against certain matchups, against certain teams, and his minutes won't be heavy. Um, you're looking at, I think, probably no more, somewhere in the teens maybe. Um, he's, and that's why his return is different from Clay's. You know, when Clay comes back, they knew they wanted him to be a full-time player. You know, he's going to start, and they want to get him into the mid-30s for the postseason. With James, he don't need mid-30s. He's not going to play 35 minutes a night. Um, and so his return is more predicated on just being able to give them some short bursts at four or five-minute intervals and do that three or four times a game, uh, which I think will help them because you can't beat his vertical spacing. In this league, uh, having a dive guy that has a standing reach of nine foot six is a plus. <laughs> and, and so um, I think in talking to people at the Warriors for the last couple of months, actually, about James, at every turn, there was a, a note of caution. In other words, don't don't think that James is going to show up and going to be, you know, this savior, this guy that's going to take us somewhere. Just, you know, he's going to come in and do what he can do, but let's he's going to need time. He is going to need time. Watching James in G League, you can see that, you know, the rust is there. And it's not just injury rust. Again, this is a guy that's only played uh, basically a half a season of basketball since high school. So yeah, um, it's 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 tough for him to expect him to come into an NBA playoff game and think, oh, here comes the game changer. But he can be an impact player in certain situations, and that will help. So, yeah, you want the core together, Steph, Clay, Draymond, but you also have to have the other guys contribute in ways that uh, that augment that core. And and that's why I think you get you guys like Jordan and, and Andrew. And off the bench, guys like Gary Payton, the second, I think they're going to need Gary. Yeah. Uh, his defense on ball, Absolutely. You know, he's been out for a couple of weeks now. His defense on ball is precious. And and so uh, no matter what the rotation ends up in the postseason, if everybody's healthy, Gary has to be in that eight- or nine-man rotation. And then it's a matter of what you can get from Otto Porter. Uh, and and so at that point, you kind of figure out, okay, here's here's our core group for the postseason and see where it takes us. But, again, it's all predicated on getting Steph back healthy. Yeah, I thought the guys they really missed against Boston were Wiggins and and, and uh, Peyton. I think they could have helped in that regard yeah. uh, against a team like Boston. But, yeah, I think Gary Payton's got to be part of it. I think, you know, you could go back to the old, uh, you know, what we used to say in the old days uh, about guys like James Wiseman. Hey, he's six fouls, you know. And, <laughs> That's you know, right. You know, <laughs> and when you play uh, you play a guy like Jokic or someone like that, and, you know, um, you know, he's a big body. So, and yeah. like, you, like you said, you have to honor that. When he dives, you have to honor that. You can't let him go because you can just throw yeah. it to the rim and it's two points. So, so kind of like with JaVale McGee, you know, it's that, that kind of deal. Um, but, yeah, exactly. so I, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. I still think they're going to be okay depending, you know, on, on health for everybody. But, um, right. but it's interesting. You know, it's just another – it seems like – I don't know what the deal is with the Warriors the last couple of years, but it seems like every year there's just another, you know uh, – it's, it's like trying to – you know, track someone in the forest, and then about every you know forty yards, you get a fallen tree. You know, <laughs> you know, and you okay. Now I got to get get around this one. You know, and so um, they just can't seem to buy a break. You know that way. So yeah, it's it's always something, and 
Uh, and it's just, it's, you know, Wiggins has been pretty good. I mean, he's only missed a couple of games. Um, Andre, you knew coming in that he was going to miss a chunk of the season. He was going to, you know, the, the feeling I'd always gotten from the guys over there is that Andre, if we get Andre for 50 games, that's fine. You know, and, and he was never going to play back-to-backs. He wasn't going to play heavy minutes. Uh, they wanted to maybe put him in bubble wrap until the postseason. But now, you know, there's got to be some concern there because he's been out now for about almost a month. And uh, that's significant. And if he can come back and give them, again, spot minutes in the playoffs. Again, you don't need him playing 35 minutes. It's not going to happen. But you might need him to play 20 minutes in some games. And uh, if, if he can do that, that's a big boost. I mean, if he's, if he's healthy enough to be in your playoff rotation, then, okay, you can say, let's, let's roll out there with the, the, the four guys off the bench will be Jordan, Andre, Gary Payton, and maybe Otto. And then James will be the, maybe the fifth guy, you know. And I think you can play with that. It, you know, assuming your, your starters are going to be Looney, Draymond, Wiggins, Clay, and Steph. I think you can, you can roll with that. That can beat some teams. That can beat most any team. So it, it's a matter of, yeah, the health is the issue, but also just getting the, the guys that are, uh, as you know, a lot of guys like to say, the others or the supporting cast, making sure those guys are primed because those guys have never been in the fight of an NBA playoff for much. Wiggins has played one playoff series in his whole career. Jordan Poole hasn't played one at all. Uh, so Otto's got some playoff experience, a little bit. But the, the Warriors, the, the core guys, Andre, Steph, Dre, and Claymont, and Clay, Draymond, rather, and, and Clay, those guys have all played a lot of postseason games. And so they, they understand what, what it takes to win. And, and so the question is, can their knowledge and their know-how, can their experience um, – help push the other guys through uh, and, and get to them and, and allow those guys to do what they can do uh, in, in the postseason because th- that's what the season's about now. You know, they, they're going to be in the postseason, and the question is where and who they'll play. You said Claymont. I had this vision of this player <laughs> that could knock down shots. Well, <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, we got to get to the lab. We need to create a new player. Uh, so... Uh, Hey, uh, I say Kaminga. What do you say? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, which we're talking about the two rookies, Kaminga and Moses Moody. And I said, uh, in, in a playoff game, I, I trust Moody more than Kaminga. I just Moody's decision making is more mature, uh, but Kaminga gives you a jolt of something. <laughs> and yeah, I think I don't know how much run he'll get in the postseason, but I know there will be a place for him. And, and the same can be said of Moses, you know, so it depends on, again, and, and Steve has sort of implied that, that, you know, the rotations could change from series to series, game to game, uh, based on how, th- how things are going. And I totally get that because he's really got about 10 or 11 guys he can look at and say, okay, what can this guy give me in this game? And, and you know, I think the guys that, that might be looking at, you know, not playing much, if at all, are guys like Damien and Juan, you know, those guys might not see a lot of run uh, or might go in only when Steve is really looking for something that they can bring. Uh, and that could happen. So uh, if everyone is healthy, and it's such a huge if way the season's gone, if everyone is healthy, yeah. Can the Warriors win a championship? I believe they can. But again, 
there's a lot of ifs, and health is is the primary one there that, that's got to be there for them to uh, succeed. You know, uh, I always appreciate your time, honey. And, and and before I let you go, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. You know, we're celebrating 75 years, you know, of Warriors basketball, and I don't think there's anybody better qualified to uh, tell me a little bit about what where do you see the Warriors and the Bay Area? You know, you've been covering this team for decades. What what, what where do you see the Warriors fitting in the Bay Area? What do the Warriors mean to the Bay? Uh, a whole lot more than they meant 10 years ago. Um, you know, it, it, what, what the Warriors have always been, had a fan base here, but they've also uh, made so many missteps and ownership and management levels over the years that it, there was a low level of trust that they were willing to do what it t- takes to win basketball games. Uh, I can recall when I first started covering the Warriors, I can recall Don Nelson, you know, the first time around being the coach. And this was the, at the at the older arena that held like fifteen thousand before it was uh, before it was remodeled. And Don Nelson would walk out before the game and get a standing ovation, just because his teams were fun and people liked to watch them play, and the fan base loved them. I mean, they were selling out the place with teams that weren't going to win a, a championship, but there was a fun level of basketball with the run TMC group and so forth. So. Uh, honestly, I was one of the people who, when Joel Aikman and Peter Goober bought the Warriors, and I, I heard their speeches about what that was going to happen and what they were going to do, their big plans. I thought, we've heard this before, <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah, was I skeptical? Yes, I was because I've been through it before. But I got to say, um, their ownership and the fact that they had the right superstar player in step to build around has made the Warriors the base team. They really have. And and you can't walk a block without seeing somebody wearing a Warriors t-shirt, jacket, cap, or something. And that was not always the case. I see more Warriors gear than I do the Niner gear. And that was not always the case. Uh, so I think right now they have the the market to themselves because they're the only they're the one they're the only team that's here and has been here by themselves for an entire time for, for years, that for decades. For a while there, we had Raiders and 49ers. Now it's just the Niners. And if the Niners are good, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch Niners-Warriors because they clearly are the top two teams in the Bay. But the Warriors have no competition. And when they're good, and and they have not just good, but they're appealing. They are appealing. And, you know, you have fans you, you have fans who are Steph guys, fans who are Clay guys, fans who are Draymond guys, you know, and and that is special, and I think the Warriors recognize that, which is why they've committed those three guys because nobody wants to see any of them go anywhere. So yeah, I think the Warriors are, as you put it, the Bay's team, um, and and they can enjoy this. So I mean, what Peter and and Joe have done has been pretty spectacular, and honestly, you know, again, they they've been the guys at the top, but. Let's face it. None of this happens without Mr. Curry. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, he, he's the centerpiece of this franchise. I never thought we'd see somebody supplant Al Adels as the face of the franchise, but he did. Yeah. yeah. But he did. You know, and, and and now when we travel, there's people waiting outside the hotels for not just the autograph seekers, the guys who are in the business, right? Not that's just the five or six guys who or who stand there for every team, right? Because they want right. to get a sign, but but like you know, families and kids and and 
And, you know, nobody asks me anymore where Golden State is. You know, I used to get that question all the time. Where's Golden State? Is that Colorado? Is that that where you guys are? Yeah, Colorado, ma'am. Yeah, just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find us there. Yeah, so, you know. you know, I we don't yeah you know, we we don't see headlines anymore in newspapers because there are no, unfortunately uh, the hotels don't have newspapers anymore. But uh, you know, online it used to be you could see you know woeful warriors take on Dallas, you know yeah. that kind of thing. So yep. you know we don't see that anymore. Um, so yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy that that you know we always knew you know those of us who were around the team. You always knew it was kind of a gold mine waiting. You know that there was there yep. was gold to be mined underneath there. And they found it, and they found it, and they've 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 dug it up and and continue to mine it. It's it's incredible, and uh, who knows? But I I'm looking forward to this stretch. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the Warriors can you know overcome this latest obstacle, and see what they can put together for the postseason. Because you know, a final thing, I I don't think there's anybody out there that can say, oh, uh, they're great. Now Phoenix is is remarkable. Their mental toughness has really come through without Chris Paul, but. But even them, I, I, you know, they're not a, a team that you would say, oh, you, you know, you're going to have to get really lucky to beat them. I think they can be beaten, and and yeah. so I think this is this is going to be a wide open postseason. I really believe that. Yeah, I mean, in, in the West, I think you look at the Warriors and the, and the Suns as the teams. You know, I think yeah, you got other good teams there, but I think I don't think people believe Memphis is ready to win a championship yet. But Memphis is really good. <laughs> they are really good. Um, I don't think people believe that Dallas or Denver uh, is re- or Utah is ready to win a championship. So I, I think it's the Warriors and Phoenix that's swimming good health on on those two teams. The East, oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh Miami, oh. Boston coming on, Philadelphia, Brooklyn. I mean, who am I forgetting? I know there's one more. Uh, uh, it, it's like maybe Philadelphia, they, Brooklyn. Uh, well, Chicago's there. I don't think they're uh, a title no, contender. They're not going to win a championship no, either. So. But you've got all these factors all of a sudden. All these guys there. All these teams that are like the the, the Eastern Conference. Even the first round's going to be. <laughs> there's going to be some blood. Oh, we, we East, forgot. Man. We forgot about Boston. <laughs> The no, best, Boston, best defensive Boston, team in the league. The way they play, they've been the yeah. best team in the league for the past couple yeah. months almost. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 really Milwaukee. it's going to be tough when you look at all those teams. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be really tough. Hey, uh, I appreciate you uh, giving me some time as always. I look forward to uh, reading your prose always, and uh, we'll see you uh, out at Chase Center, and and hopefully we'll see you at a in a playoff series. No doubt. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate your time. Monty Poole of NBC Sports Bay Area. Always great to catch up with Monty. Time now to go back in time and relive another moment from our 75 years, 75 stars features that we air every night on our radio broadcast as part of our pregame show. Hope you enjoy it. This one is about Joe Ellis. It's time for 75 years, 75 stars, as we celebrate 75 years of Warriors basketball in the NBA. Tonight we look at a player from the Bay through and through. Joe Ellis was selected by the San Francisco Warriors in the second round of the 1966 NBA Draft. He was the 13th selection overall. Now Ellis, top of the key, goes down the lane against Van Arsdale, hangs up a shot and scores! Kind of cycling in as he jumps sideways. 29-26 Cincinnati, the Royals maintaining a lead between one, uh, between three and five points. Forty seconds to go. In, this- in 1966, the NBA was still relatively brand new on the West Coast, 
and I asked Joe in a conversation we had recently if he knew about the special relationship between the Warriors and their fans. Yeah, we did. Uh, you know, Franklin Muley, you know, kind of made it a, um, a point to make sure that that the fans were involved. You know, he was always doing some kind of promotion to make sure that we could get people in the stands and that they had uh, that they had a good time when they were there. And it had to be great for you because you start out, you know, you're a Bay Area guy, just another great player coming out of McClymonds. Let's go back to that. As a high school player, what were your thoughts, you know, your future in basketball, and when did you realize that you were a pretty good player? God, I guess I would go back to probably my my junior year in uh, in high school, you know, and and during those times, man, you know, we didn't uh, we were just concerned about playing, you know, we weren't, uh, you know, we weren't looking at the players that 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 came before us. Obviously, we knew we knew about them, but you know, we just we were just playing as much as we could possibly play. Why USF? Why did why did you end up there? That's a really long story, you know. I there was a uh, a USF alum that. At uh, Hal DiGiulio, and uh, you know he started uh, recruiting me to USF probably when I was a when I was a sophomore in high school. You know, still playing uh, on the J- JV team, and you know I thought that he lived with me. He was at my house so much. I went on some recruiting trips, and I found that that during that time, you know, it was during the the civil rights, you know, era, and you weren't, uh, you know, African-American athletes weren't treated as well as they were in the Bay Area, and I made a trip up north to one of the schools, and my experience there was not very good, and so I just told the guys that I was going with, because I was uh, being recruited with uh, Erwin Muller and Russ Gamina, two of my teammates, and we took those trips together, and I just told them after one of those trips, I said, guy, you can do what you want to do. I'm going back to USF. After a stellar career at USF, Joe Ellis would find himself in the Warriors training camp in 1966. Head coach Bill Sharman had stars in Rick Barry and Nate Thurman. This club was good, and it was deep, and they ended up having a great season. I think one of the things that um, uh, was truly pretty exciting and that we really, really didn't realize at the time was that in the rookie year, we ended up going to the, uh, going to the finals. In, uh, for the NBA championship with uh, with Philadelphia, which uh, when Rick Barry was playing with uh, playing with us, so yeah, that was uh, that was pretty exciting. But at the time, it uh, you know not having been there before, it was oh, it was just another game. But in, in fact, that it wasn't. Rick Barry would eventually end up in the ABA, and Joe Ellis and his Warrior teammates were left to think, what if? And to a man, the Warriors felt they were on the cusp of a dynasty before Barry made his fateful move. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with that. Rick and Nate were really difference makers, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't know anybody that uh, could play that position in the game as well or better than uh, than Rick could. Joe Ellis would settle into his NBA career, getting a career-high 38 points and 11 rebounds in 1970 in a game against the L.A. Lakers. He would average in double figures in scoring in three consecutive seasons from 1968 through 1971, including a very crisp 15.8 a night in the 1969-70 season. Free throw missed, and Van Leer gets the rebound again just by tenacity. Feeds out to the right for Van Arsdale. He pups and misses a jumper from 15. Lee rebounds over to Mullins on the left, down to Odie Smith. Bounce pass on the right to Ellis. Flat foot jumper, 18 feet. Good. Ellis hits. In six of his eight years, the Warriors qualified for the playoffs, and it was always fun playing at home.
Yeah, it was, it was good. It was, I mean, it's familiar, you know, and I had uh, people that I knew that there were going to people uh, come into the games that, uh, that knew who I was. So I kind of had a little built-in fan, fan base. I mean, in those days, we weren't, uh, we weren't drawing 17,000 people. <laughs> but we, but we had, you know, we had some decent crowds, but it was fun playing. It was fun playing uh, in the Bay Area. Joe's days in the NBA concluded at the end of the 1973-74 season. He would play overseas for about a half a year and began his post-basketball life working for IBM. But later on, he would find another true calling, working for the Recreation Department of the City of San Francisco, working with kids. Uh, you know what? That was probably the most rewarding job that I've ever had. You know, the, you, know you get a chance to... Uh, to impact some of the kids' uh, lives and and help them to make some change, some positive changes in what they were doing. So it was uh, that was the most rewarding experience that I've had. Joe Ellis was inducted into the USF Hall of Fame in 1973 and had his jersey number 31 retired in 2020. He's one of nine players to play for the Warriors franchise in both San Francisco and Oakland and enjoyed every minute of it. You know, what comes to mind is that it was just, uh, it was really a positive experience. You know, it's something that I look back on and I just say, you know, out of all the guys that played uh, in college, you know, I was fortunate enough to be one of the few that got a chance to play at the highest level. And it was just, uh, it's very rewarding. Had a lot of good experiences. Uh, Basketball took me all over the world and uh, I played with some some great guys and met a lot of good people. So all of that experience, uh, even with the ups and downs, it was it was mostly positive. So I, I look back on that with uh, with a lot of joy. Ellis would play eight years for the franchise, the only NBA team he would ever play for, averaging 8.8 points, five rebounds, and one assist per game. McClyman's High School in Oakland, the University of San Francisco, the San Francisco and Golden State Warriors. 75 years, 75 stars, Joe Ellis. been 75 years 75 stars joe ellis that rare player they able to play high school ball college ball and pro ball all in his home area in this case the bay later on on the podcast we'll have joe ellis i had a chance to sit down with joe and, and talk to him at length about his career and about some of his great teammates you can look forward to that here at the warriors podcast at a later date Thanking Monty Poole, thanking James Kincaid, who sets all this up, and, of course, the grand poobah of Warriors Audio. That is R.C. Davis. Don't forget, you can come back here and listen to previous episodes of the Warriors podcast, as well as each and every postgame show on radio. So check that out here. And tell your friends. We always like to have new listeners here on the Warriors podcast. I'm Tim Roy, and we'll talk to you either from Chase or from the office on the road sometime soon.